It's like it works on the iPad. Just check the checkbox. This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be utterly destroyed by my co-host and your friend, John Syracuse. Today is Wednesday, September 12th, 2012. It's a little bit early to be doing this show, isn't it? But it's episode number 85. I'd like to say thanks very, very much to our sponsors, Gazelle. Shutterstock.com, Hover.com. We would also like to mention the bandwidth for this episode. In fact, all of the episodes in the month of September has been brought to you by Igloo, your digital workplace. It means you can give updates, have discussions, and share files with your team all in one place. It's very, very cool. Igloosoftware.com slash 5x5. Please check it out. Hello, John Syracuse. Where were you today? I'm right here. You're late. I'm a little late. Eight minutes. We got it's a big day. I got a ton of preparation to do today. It's a huge day. I know, but this is the non huge part of the day. This, this isn't is the, the biggest. I'm I'm talking about your show. I what are you no. talking about? I'm talking about your show and this show. This is the big part of my day. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some event later. I don't care about that. This is what I look uh, forward to. Uh, what are you doing for the event anyway? Uh, you know, kicking back popcorn, can you know maybe candy corn. I mean, are you doing podcast stuff? Yeah, would you be on it? Can you be on it after? I still don't know. I'm just wondering what you're doing. I'm going to do a special. Um, Marco said he'll he'll be there. You remember Christina Warren? I used to do a show with her. She'll be there. And uh, Dalrymple is going to attempt to call in uh, from the floor if possible. He's got a lot of, you know, they bring him into the, the secret room and stuff. So he's not sure, but he's going to try and call in. Love it if you could be there. Can you be there? We'll see. We'll see. Right. You, you do this after? Yeah, we'll do it after. I'm not, you know, we were talking about this yesterday, and you said, what are you doing? And, and, you know, I said, I don't know, you know, doing something after, but not during. It seems like the folks that do stuff during, I don't know, is that is that fun? Do people like to listen to that? You have to have the choice of, like, you'd have to air, I don't know, what can you do? They don't have a live broadcast. Like, you're listening there to the, the or reading what's going on, but when you're reading or listening, you can't be talking. And so how, is it a podcast full of dead air? As it's a podcast. there together. Yeah, it would be a podcast full of dead air. It would be me sort of reading from two or three sites out loud, lots of dead air. I don't know. Maybe some, maybe we could me. sort of sing in, in, in the middle. That seems weird. I don't know. I don't uh, know how that would work. Afterwards, then it's easier to to have comments. Yeah, I think it's uh, the chat room is in agreement with us that we should not we should not do that. So again, I have no plans to do that, but we'll do it as a special. And a lot of people have asked if the special will be in in the the main uh, RSS feed. It will. It will also be in the specials, and there will also be a push notification. All the all the stuff that people have come to expect, we will continue to do. And maybe right, you'll so- be on it. How will we know? When will I know if you're going to be on it? Because I got to get set up if you're going to be on it. Well, you know, I'll I'll like I am you or whatever sometime this afternoon. I need at or least after I, the event. I need at least after the event. I need a fifteen minute notice. That's fine. I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be longer than a fifteen minute thing. If you can't get me in, fine. Sounds like I have a lot of people all end up. No, I need like I need you. I always need you. I well, need we'll you. See. You're my uh, Spock. Got to have you. Uh, no, no. We'll uh, skiing Rob in the uh, in the chat room says that you could hang out with us in the chat room. I'll be there. I'll be in there. 
Yeah, so for the people who might not know, we are recording this on Wednesday, Wednesday. September 12th at 11-ish in the morning Eastern time. So the Apple event has not yet happened. So it is not possible for us to comment on the Apple event because we don't know what's going to happen yet. I don't know when you're planning on posting this, but we're recording on Wednesday today instead of Friday to work around some scheduling things. Uh, so if you were tuning in to hear what I had to say about the Apple event, sorry, you'll have to wait till next That's week. That's why we got to get you on the special. You can yeah, never have too much Syracuse. You can't. You can't. It's not possible. So that leaves uh, open our, what are we going to talk about on this earlier in the week, but still before the Apple event edition of my show. And I figured it's a good time to stick in that topic that I kept pushing off that has nothing to do with the Apple event. <laughs> As we, it was last show, I, I gave my predictions about the Apple. So if you're wondering, like, what what did I think? Recap, the can Apple you just event. recap it? Recap it. Do a recap? Uh, yeah, quick. No, I don't, I don't have time. I'm trying to get in and out. All right, it's gonna, okay. It's going to be a short show. That's it's your right. show. You heard me. Do whatever That's you right. want. I don't care. I invoked it. The short show <laughs> declaration. Right. It's going to happen. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's start with follow-up, okay. as we do. Uh, last show, we talked a little bit about Mac OS X battery life, mm -hmm. or maybe a couple of shows ago. And I linked to a Mac Observer piece that had charts on, on the... Uh, shortfall of 10.8.0 versus the 10.7.4 and so on. And I asked, I wonder what the battery life was like for the 10.7 series throughout its life. Like how, what was the battery life on 10.7.0 versus 10.7.1, 2, 3, and so on to get an idea of how these things tend to progress. Well, a Mac Observer posted a new article that I put in the show notes that shows a graph of battery lifetimes from 10.6.8 all the way up through the still in development 10.8.2. And what you can see from this is that 10.6.8 had a really good battery life. 10.7.0, you know, did a little backsliding. And then over the course of 10.7's life, 10.7.1, 2, 3, 4, it got better and better. And then 10.8.0 came and it went way back and you lost like 20%. And 10.8.1 made it a little bit better. And 10.8.2 puts it back to levels that are actually the best of anything in the entire chart. So uh, it looks like if these charts are to be believed and if this test is accurate and if 1082 comes out and actually behaves like this, that 1082 may be the end of the 108 battery woes and it will actually be the best operating system in terms of battery life, uh, even better than 1068. This graph doesn't go back farther in, in the past, so maybe other ones were better than that. But that's good news for everybody who uses their laptops on a battery. Just, you know, hang in there and then 1082 will hopefully bring you back to what you wanted. I asked on Twitter this morning if there was any compelling reason from people who have direct, I guess, direct hands-on experience with installing 1082. And there was a, a seed was released, I guess, last night or, or, or sometime in the night. If there was any compelling reason not to install this. And most people uh, said that they're using it and it's pretty good so far. Um, but, you know, I don't know. What do you why recommend? Would you, why would you install a dev build of a point release? Why don't you just wait till 1082 is out? Yeah, because if you're suffering from, you know, battery issues, that's important. But I decided, yeah, but I decided to wait. I always feel creepy, like, installing a dev build because then you're like, okay, well, when I install the real 1082 over it, am I sure that it's expunging all traces of that? Yeah, dev I know. That, that, was my, that was my scary moment. I don't like that. Uh, and so related to battery issues, we talked last week about your care, care and feeding of your lithium ion or lithium polymer or whatever <laughs> yeah. modern battery. 
and I linked to that Battery University site, which I still encourage people to read up about. Uh, and I mentioned that it would be cool if Apple had a way in the OS to keep your battery at that optimum 40% charge, which mm -hmm. is what they recommend for this particular type of battery if yeah. you're going to store it for a long time. And basically letting it sit there in your computer when it's connected to power is like storing it, only even worse because it's hot the whole time too. Uh, but just terrible for your battery. Uh, and so, you know, the OS could in theory say, okay, stop taking power from the power adapter and just go off battery for a while and then just like keep it hovering around 40%, right? Well, Abby Becker wrote in to tell me that the airline adapter that Apple sells for the MacBook Air, like it plugs into the the, the DC power ports right. that are available on like uh, airplane seats and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that will power your MacBook Air, but will not charge the battery. So if you could get your MacBook Air to 40% charge, and then if you could somehow figure out in your home how to use the the battery, the, the airline adapter, it would keep your... Uh, MacBook Air running and in theory keep the battery around 40% charge the whole time. I guess the battery would slowly probably lose charge. Huh? Of course, the challenge with that is that you don't have an airline power DC power adapter in your home anywhere. So you'd have to some sort of rig some sort of thing up like that. But so there's another option. Maybe there are adapters out there that would let you uh, apparently there's a way to plug something into the MagSafe port to tell the MacBook Air I'm giving you power, but I'm not giving you sufficient power to also charge your battery at the same time. Right. I thought that was interesting. There's a link to that in the show notes. How much is it? You see, I've seen, you know, I've seen that kind of thing before where, where charging, uh, no powering. Yes. But that's, uh, you know what? That's all you care. You don't really usually care. And if you're, if you're planning on watching a movie or something, you just kind of want to keep it going. And, and it, for me, whenever I go on a trip or travel or something, I'll make sure it's charged up ahead of time. And when I get in there, I just want to know, okay, it's going to be a long flight. I can plug in and enjoy, enjoy programs that I've lined up as opposed to. Well, I got to get charged. Who cares if you're charged as long as you can watch your movies? It would be nice for it to charge too. So I went, I wanted to see how much this thing costs, but I forgot, of course, that today there's an Apple event. So when I went to the Apple store URL, I just got to see the store is down thing, 8,000 languages. So sorry, I can't look up the price. And neither can you. Unless it's on a Wikipedia page somewhere. All right. What else do we have in follow up? Oh, and uh, Karsten Sills. Siles, Sills, S-I-L-Z. Yeah. Wrote in to link to all of Apple's battery guide pages. So if you go to apple.com slash batteries slash notebook.html, you will see the uh, Apple's own guides to the care and feeding of your battery for these various products. And they have one for notebooks, uh, iPads, iPhones, and iPods. But you would think the battery rules for all those would be very similar. And I'm <laughs> sure they are very similar. And a lot of the text is the same right. in each one. Uh, it's kind of phrased in friendly Apple language where they say, where, where's their, their phrase on? They want to keep, they want to keep the electrons moving and keep the juices flowing. <laughs> Maybe not a, uh, analogy that's particularly appetizing, but <laughs> they go through the same stuff. Don't keep your portable plugged in, discharge it once a month. Again, I think that's mostly so it can calibrate the thing that estimates how much time you have left. Uh, yada, yada. So, those are in the show notes. I recommend taking a look at those if you would like to know how to care for your battery in your Apple device. And speaking of Apple devices, I remember, was it last show that we talked about my Thunderbolt display briefly? I think it was two. Maybe you mentioned it on the last. Yes, it was the last show because you said that you took it back in 
to uh, this was I guess this was the third time that they've rebuilt it, and this time it's holding up. But this time it's fine. Yeah, well, so I spoke too soon oh, because no. shortly before <laughs> I came on today, I went over to my wife's computer and tried to use the camera and got that, you know, the view of the back of the monitor, which means that it's not using the camera and the display was using the camera in the uh, laptop, which is sort of off to the left and behind when it's connected up to the Thunderbolt display. So, yeah, my Thunderbolt display thinks it no longer has a camera, which is disappointing to me. Uh, luckily, I did extend the warranty, as I think we discussed. I you know, spent the $99 to get the extended warranty just before this one ran out, and it's a good thing I did, too. Otherwise, I would be, I would be having a problem here. So I'm yeah. hoping that when I bring it in now for the third time, they'll just give me a new one. But even that doesn't make me too happy because, again, as I said on um, previous show, I think this is a design issue not a manufacturing defect like because the guts of this thing have been replaced so many times the uh, the first time i brought it in they replaced the internals twice they replaced the internals and then tested those and those didn't work so i threw those out and took another set of internals <laughs> put those in and then gave it back to me so that's that's two replacements of the internals uh everything except for the display i mean the display itself seems to be fine but like the the stuff that runs the ports and the audio and the thunderbolt interface and the power supply and all that stuff so that's two Two replacements, but that just counts as one repair because I gave it to them. They gave it back to me. That didn't work. Brought it back in. They kept it for like a week and a half. Replaced all the guts again, like torture tested and said, okay, now everything totally works. Maybe they just didn't test the camera. Mm. Maybe, maybe the camera's been broken since I got it back. I can't recall having actually used it. It could be they just forgot to connect the little wire. That <laughs> You're not having the camera. much luck with this, man. That sucks. And the thing, yeah. So, like, so now when I go back, maybe it's just a matter of like, oh, we forgot to plug the camera in. Uh, and they plug it back in or maybe something else got fried and if they offer to give me a new one i would like a new one if the new one like has design changes yeah you know, although now i'm afraid to think of me a new one it's going to end up coming with the magsafe 2 connector and i'll need that stupid little adapter which i think it also comes with but that's a little bit annoying too so anyway yeah bad luck with this monitor the bad luck continues live and learn So what I wanted to talk about today for our one and only short topic. I don't know. Is. Should I, do a should I do one? No, I can't. Should I do a sponsor really quick? You should do one. I have a very timely one, actually. Right. This is incredibly time. It's almost as if this was planned this way. Uh, but let me tell you about Gazelle. Gazelle.com. Like you say, Gazelle. This is Gazelle. G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com. And uh, what is this? The fast and simple way to sell your used iPhones, MacBooks, smartphones, you name it, you sell it to these guys. So I'm, I am planning on getting, oh, by the way, they leaked the name of this iPhone 5. There's apparently, if you search on Apple or if you searched on Apple for an iPhone 5, for like the term, it was returning a thing that would have like a URL, like iPhone 5 in the URL. So it's definitely, we know this now. But anyway, I'm getting, I'm planning on getting one. So what am I going to do with my 4S? You know, I've got friends and family that they have 4s. They have 4Ss. What are they going to do with them? You just leave them sitting there. Most people leave them sitting there. That's because they don't know about Gazelle, which is the coolest thing ever. You basically, you, you go to gazelle.com. You, t- you find the device. You tell them the condition of your device. So if you have, okay, I have an iPhone 4S. It's mint. It's mint condition. It's perfect. Well, they, they will buy this from you. They will send you cash uh, or they can send you PayPal, whatever you want. It's really, really cool because they will give you pretty good money for these things. And like I said, I'm talking about iPhones. They do it for Macs, MacBooks, you name it. And what they do is a lot, and this is, the, this is what makes them different. 
they lock in the price for 30 days. So if you go there and do this, like right now, like go there, lock in a price for the IF because it may go, it won't go down a lot, but it will go down in value after the, the big announcement today. So it's still, they'll still give you good money. But if you hear, if you're hearing my voice before, go in there, lock in, and that price will be valid for 30 days. So you can even wait until you get your new phone before you send back your old phone. And they'll, they, they do free shipping. They do everything. It's very, very cool. They paid, uh, I'm looking at this, and I guess this is real because it's written down, $50 million to over 300,000 customers. I've used them before, uh, way before they were a sponsor. And uh, it it's, couldn't be easier. It couldn't be better. iPads, iPhones, smartphones, computers, whatever it is. Go check these guys out, gazelle.com. They're a brand new sponsor. Uh, so let's, uh, let's make them glad they did it. Go check them out, gazelle.com. You can, I bet you sell me your old iPod touches when you get the new one, John. I, I bet I could get a lot of money for this Thunderbolt display. Well, little would they know I was giving them a lemon. <laughs> I bet they'll probably test it. I would guess that they, they, they test it. Here's some real-time feedback from Jack Wellborn. He just wrote in to, to talk about what he calls the refurb pool. It's when you go in with a bad uh, device at an Apple store and they replace it for you, but they replace it with a factory refurbished model. And that factory refurbished model, again, according to his theory, has a high chance of being a another lemon that was returned that didn't have its problem correctly diagnosed. So you, that you're constantly shuffling through a pool full of problematic hardware and never actually given a clean, clean, shiny new one. I don't know if that's the case, but that would make me sad if it was. So if I if I do get a replacement, I will try to assess whether it's been factory refurbished. I don't know how I'd even be able to tell. How that. would you be able to know that it won't have the right smell or something? I don't know. Do you smell like your maybe, equipment maybe you a lot? <laughs> sometimes the serial numbers you can do like a look up online and you can find out the date of manufacture. You know? Really? Like, yeah, for some for some devices, you just like either either you, either you can just by look at the serial number, you can tell what month and year it was manufactured, or it's like encoded in some way. You can just uh, paste it into some form that will decode it. That won't always tell you because it could be brand spanking new and and it was manufactured three months ago and it's just been sitting in storage. Uh, but if it was manufactured in like the last week, chances are good that it's not refurbed. You know, right? I mean, how do you feel in general about refurb stuff? Does that bother you? Does it rub you the wrong way? It really depends on if I think the product has a design flaw. You know, if if I think there's something wrong with the product that is that is inherent in the way the thing is designed, or there's some particular piece of it that's particularly fragile or is prone to failure, and once it fails, it can never really be fixed, or that type of thing, then I'd probably want to stay away from a refurb because I would say that, like, I would guess that that's some sort of model that uh, it was a lemon that got all its guts replaced, and supposedly it's good now, but. I would have little faith that it really is good. Whereas if it's a model that's rock solid and you get a refurb, there really could be something where someone uh, had one and there was a problem and it was the third repair and they just completely replaced the guts and the customer was, was cranky about it and said, I just want a new one. But really that one with the guts replaced is perfectly fine because once you replace everything in it, it's solid and his real problem was he just had a manufacturing defect in one of those parts. So I don't know. But all that said... I've never actually purchased a refurb, mostly because the discount doesn't seem like it's high enough. Like Apple's own refurb program, like, hey, you can get a brand new MacBook Air for whatever, and you can get a refurbished one for like, you know, 100 bucks off. And I'm like, yeah, I'll spend the extra 100 bucks to get the uh, the refurb. Or the, the new the, one, rather. The, the brand new. I mean, I think to a lot of people, that you know, they want to they save a few bucks. And, and 50 bucks for something that's, you know, got the certification, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, people do that. But I'm with yeah, you. I like. You, I just liked it. I just like knowing it's like. I guess it depends on what it is. Like, there's certain things I wouldn't care, and a, a screen I would care less than than a MacBook or 
something like that. Yeah, I buy new cars too, which is also not a financial good idea. No, if you it's want a to terrible. Have a, a, a nicer car uh, for less money, you're better off like leasing or buying used because new cars you pay a tremendous premium for a car whose value goes down a gigantic amount for the second you drive it off the lot. But you know, it's the way it is. So my topic right? for today. Okay, big topic. Yeah, I have no idea why would how would I be able to guess what this is? It was you, but you'd guess because you pay attention to the past shows. I like, yeah, but you're you're a mystery to me. I can never figure you out. You're from a different planet. Uh huh. So I want to talk about my uh, ebook. Oh, of publishing course, the ebook publishing. Okay, yeah. so for people who do, somehow are listening to this for the very first time, John Syracuse, every every time there's a new uh, release of OS ten previously Mac OS X, John Syracuse has written a detailed review of this, published on the day, usually, that, uh, that the new OS is available. And John researches this, and he writes what I believe all of us would agree is the, the definitive guide on the new version of the, uh, the OS X comes out. And you've been doing this since uh, uh, System 7? No, no. That would have been great. I would have loved to review that. You should that, have done that. You didn't write your own notes back then? I don't think the internet was around back then, so that could have been the problem. Well, maybe you were just publishing it, like, just by printing it. Right, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm like a image writer one. <laughs> so Not anyway, you've been doing this two. You've been doing this for as long as possible. They're published on the, uh, the lovely uh, Ars Technica site. And uh, John recently, uh, of course, did the new one for Mountain Lion. And you're going to now tell us about your troubles. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to preface this by saying that this is going to be, uh, that there's a lot of blame to go around in this sob story. So it's not like I'm saying that this was uh, all the blame lands in one particular party. Uh, I have myself and my inexperience with ebook publishing to blame for a, a significant part of this. Uh, and I include the rest of Ars Technica in this collective complaint that we did things wrong. There's also blame to be applied to uh, the various websites that uh, I'm trying to publish through. And finally, the blame that doesn't really go anywhere is the mismatch between what I'm trying to do and what these sites are designed to do, where there's no one really to blame about that. It's just a different set like uh, of, uh, of requirements. Uh, so that I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to place all the blame that the problems happened here on any particular party. Uh, there's more than enough to go around, as I think you will hear. So... The plan with this, the plan before we, you know, leading into this review was to do pretty much what we did for my Lion review last year. Uh, and that was, I'd have a, a version of my review on the web that you could read for free at arstechnica.com, right? Uh, we would have a Kindle version, uh, ebook version that you could purchase from amazon.com. And we would also have an EPUB file available for download for Ars Technica Premier subscribers. And that EPUB file could be read in any client program that understands an EPUB file. And that includes iBooks. Uh, so that was, that was what we ended up doing with the Lion Review and also a PDF version, uh, which has been the traditional thing available to Ars Premier subscribers. Uh, so the idea was that we weren't going to target iBooks uh, but if you wanted to read the book in iBooks, you could pay a similar price uh, because the Ars uh, Technica Premier subscription was $5 a month and the book was going to be $5. And so that's that's what we plan to do. And by the way, all these were supposed to be available on the day of publication 
which would also be the day of the release of the operating system. And it worked kind of well for the Lion Review. Like, the the Kindle version of the book wasn't that hot-looking, and the images were kind of messed up, and then we were stuck trying to rev that book. But it was the first time we'd even, with the Lion Review, it was the first time we'd sold electronic book versions of any of my reviews. So we didn't really know, would anyone even be interested in this? You know, because only a very few people uh, subscribe to ours premiere just to get the PDF downloads and uh, and to view the article on a single page and stuff like that. And by the way, the, e- the details of these different versions are on, I posted a post on my website, my other my hypercritical blog on Tumblr. Uh, that link is in the show notes. It's called About My Lion Review. It's at syracuse.tumblr.com. It is still the most recent post because I very rarely post there. So this will go through all the details of what we intended to do. Um, so for the for the production process to do to to pull this off to do what we plan to do to have on day of release a web version a Kindle one for sale and an EPUB version for download and a PDF one for download, uh, all of these different versions that I talked about have to be generated from a single source file uh, and. They have to be automatically generated from a single source file. And this is the case because I am constantly making changes, corrections, and even just things like copy editing and regular editing and stuff like that are happening all the time, right up to the last minute, because there's not so much time between the time I get to see what I think is a final build and the time the thing comes out. So it has to be like a, a single button press operation where I have my master canonical file while I do my writing, and then I press a button and out pops... Uh, the Kindle ebook, the EPUB, and all that other stuff. And I think, as I noted on past shows, I write in HTML. I don't write in Markdown or anything like that. I write in actual HTML because I've been writing in HTML forever. I use BBEdit. It has a lot of shortcuts so I don't have to write all the less than and greater than signs myself. Uh, and while writing, I need to see what it will look like. And what I want to see is how it will look like and what I consider the canonical version, which is the web version. So I use BBEdit's live web preview, which is a separate window that opens up. And as I type the live web preview updates. And what I do is make a local HTML file whose template makes the page look like locally exactly how it will look on the RStack and site. So I basically just copy and paste the source from the RStack and site and strip off extraneous stuff. And now I have something that's exactly the width and exactly the font. So I know exactly how it will look on the RStack and site. Uh, and I write in HTML and see the live preview uh, while I'm typing. Uh, now, the web version isn't the same as the HTML version that I'm writing. It's not like, okay, I write it, it looks great in my little HTML preview, and now I'm done. I've, d- I've done the HTML version of this article, right? And what I actually need is the Ars Technica CMS version. CMS stands for Content Management System for the people who are lucky enough not to know those three letters. What I need to do is get something that I can paste into the CMS. So for, first, obviously, what I paste into the CMS isn't going to be that entire template file that I'm working in, because that's got the entire wrapper of the page. And what I'm pasting to the CMS is just the body text. But second, the CMS wants stuff in a different format. Like, it doesn't want a bunch of image tags. Uh, it wants a special format that says, put an image here, uh, and then the Ars Technica CMS will handle making that image look right and having it be zoomable and putting the captions and stuff like that. So there's special formats for uh, all of these things. And over the life of the Ars Technica site, which has been around for a while, they have changed content management systems many times. And each time they change the content management system, it means that I have to be writing some new special format that the CMS understands. And by the way, each time they change the content management system, it tends to break my old articles because I'm always pushing at the limits of what the CMS supports. Like 
for a long time, the CMS didn't support any way to have a zoomable image, but I wanted to have images that you could click on and see a bigger version because I thought it was an important part of the review. So I would just hack, you know, just hack it in myself to do that. Uh, I always wanted to have like a rollover so you could put your mouse over something and it would switch from graphite to blue or something like that or see the two different versions of a UI with mouse over back and forth because that's a good way to compare things. Uh, and if the CMS didn't support that, I would hack it in myself with my own little uh, JavaScript rollovers and inline sounds, HTML5 sound, inline QuickTime movies because I never wanted to have flash videos. Like I wanted my videos to look nice and I figured, well, only Mac users, especially back in the day, only Mac users are reading these things anyway. So I can embed a QuickTime movie and I shouldn't hear any complaints from people saying, I couldn't see your movies because I don't have QuickTime installed. Like, <laughs> All right. This was back when QuickTime was the way you did everything. But e even today, I don't want to embed flash because... Like I'd have to upload it to YouTube and YouTube would mangle it and make it look all gross and Vimeo doesn't let you upload commercial stuff and it's, it's always a problem with the video. So it's much easier for me to just make like an MPEG-4, upload it myself and uh, embed a QuickTime movie. So I got all those things tended not to be supported by the RSCMS and I would put in custom markup to handle it but then that custom markup would sometimes need custom CSS and custom JavaScript and then uh, some future versions of their CMS would strip out custom JavaScript or exclude it or reject uh, attributes from HTML tags, like we would remove all the ID or class attributes. So this is the constant battle against me and the various CMSs. And it's not its not really ours' fault because the vast, vast, vast majority of their content, pretty much everything except for my articles, fits completely within what their CMS supports. And as they migrate from one CMS to the next, as long as you're within that subset of features that every version of the CMS is supported, just you know, images with captions and text. That's pretty much all their articles need. Mine are the only ones that need all this esoteric stuff. And so mine are the ones that break. And I'm always going back in to try to fix it and everything. Uh, but all this is uh, to say that what I have to produce to, to paste into the CMS is not the same as the HTML that I'm generating. So again, I want to press a single button and I want it, uh, something to pop out that gives me the markup for the RCMS and then a Kindle book and then an EPUB book. And uh, I tried to figure out how to do the PDF, but I couldn't figure out a way to automate that in a nice way. So... Uh, I passed that off on the RS people. Oh, and, and by the way, last year with the line review, I just did the HTML version and then various RS Technica staff people created the EPUB and the Kindle version and did everything like that. So all I did was the HTML one. This year I asked them, can I please make the, <laughs> so the Kindle? So you brought this on yourself. Well, the reason I wanted to do it is because I wanted to make the Kindle book uh, better than the line Kindle book was. Uh, and I figured the best way for me to do that is to do it myself. You're familiar with this phenomenon yeah, where you, know, you, want, you, want, you want something done right, you feel like you're going to have to do it yourself. And I realized I was taking on the responsibility. And by the way, the EPUB one as well, because you know, I figured uh, it, I'm going to be the one who's obsessing over this and I'll obsess over it all I want. I won't bother other people because it's annoying if someone else does it for you to constantly be saying, oh, this is broken. Oh, I fixed the typo. Can you update this? That's what it was like last year. I was torturing the poor Ars Technica people when I was making corrections. I was trying to batch them up Here's the next raft of corrections. Then they would manually apply that corrections to their Kindle version of the book, regenerate the book, re-upload it. That's just torture. I figured I can automate this. And so I'll update it in one place, press a button, get these new versions out, uh, and that will be a much better system. So the EPUB, I don't know how much people know about EPUB, but EPUB is an open standard for making uh, electronic books. Uh, it's been a development for a long time. There are various versions of it with... Uh, varying degrees of support. So it's a little bit like web standards, where web standards raced well ahead of browsers' ability to support them. Yeah. Like the CSS spec was finalized in 1996, but we had to wait until God knows when for browsers to get decent CSS1 support. Uh, it's similar to that with EPUB. EPUB is a, an evolving standard that has lots of neat features, but very few readers support all of them, and many readers support some weird subset of them. 
Uh, but to generate the EPUB, that's almost nothing like the HTML version. EPUB uses XHTML as its format, but there's a container format with a bunch of folders and especially named files and metadata files. And the markup you can use in them is limited in various ways by the reader applications. Uh, so I, you can kind of draw a line from it, my HTML source that I'm editing to the Ars Technica CMS version. And you can kind of say, well, you could derive an EPUB version from that. You know, just take the HTML, change a bunch of tags, strip off the headers and the footers, make this folder structure, make these metadata files that say what the pieces are, maybe split it up into chapters and make a cover page and a table of contents and copyright information and put it in all the author metadata. And, you know, that whole process you can imagine doing manually uh, with the content mostly staying the same. It's like, oh, we just take the HTML content and mangle it in certain ways. I would have liked to use a GUI app for this, if possible, even if just like to make the initial version of this thing. But the GUI apps to generate or edit EPUB, they exist, but they're not very good. Uh, they all have one or more problems with them. But the biggest problem with all of them is that they tend not to be automatable, where I, can, I can't just press a button and have my HTML source file generate an EPUB and a Kindle book and stuff like that. Uh, and the Kindle version is even worse than the EPUB version, because the Kindle version has to uh, can be generated from an EPUB and from various other formats. So now it's like a double lossy where you're going from HTML to an EPUB and then you're going from EPUB to the Kindle and the things supported by HTML, EPUB and Kindle, there's a lot of overlap between that. But there's also features that you're, you know, you're losing things like there are things that the EPUB version supports that the Kindle version doesn't or the Kindle version wants to have data in a different format and it's going to look at the EPUB index and translate it into the Kindle index in this particular way. But uh, it's now you're like two steps removed from the original source version. So that's that's very tricky to deal with. Uh, and Kindle versions tend to have even more limited markup than the EPUB, which in turn has more limited markup than the HTML. Uh, and the Ars Technica CMS has more limited markup than the source HTML as well. Uh, so I wanted to generate that. And the final twist with Kindle is that there are two Kindle formats. There's the old Mobi format, which stands for Mobi Pocket. Uh, Mobi Pocket was purchased by Amazon like, 2005, I think. Uh, that format is very old and very limited, and you can basically just do text and some, you know, inline images and simple indexes and stuff like that. Uh, and there's also Kindle Format 8, or KF8 for short, which is kin the Amazon's new format, which supports much more interesting things like HTML5 and some CSS3 stuff and stuff like that. Uh, when you make a Kindle file for uploading to Amazon, you're making a file that contains both of those formats. You're making a single file that contains inside it the Mobi formatted data and the, K, the KF8 formatted data. And then when a reader reads it, the older reader is just read and display the Mobi format data and the newer ones read and display the Kindle format 8. So now when you're generating your Kindle, you have to make sure that whatever it is that, you, that your EPUB you know, source file has in it it can be translated in the same way into a format that will look decent on the Moby Pocket thing uh, in that format, and also that it will look nice in the Kindle Format 8 format. Uh, and so Amazon provides tools to do this. They have Kindle Gen, which is a command line tool that you just feed it like HTML or EPUB or whatever, and it produces your Kindle file for you. It, and they also have the Kindle Previewer application, which will show you what your Kindle book will look like in each of Amazon's readers. So you can say, show me what this will look like on a, uh, you know, 
uh, Kindle 4. So it will look like on a Kindle Touch. Or what, what will it look like on the Kindle Fire? And, and, and it will go through a redisplay your book. It's kind of like an emulator, kind of like a simulator. It's not simulating the entire OS of those things. It's just redisplaying your Kindle file and trying to give you a hint of what it will look like at the screen size and various font settings on all of their devices so you can sanity check the thing. Uh, so this is the problem before me when I'm, I'm writing this review. I'm like, okay, I need something where I can write and press a button and it's going to spew out all these formats. Uh, and my solution for this is, I was trying to think of a good analogy for what happens <laughs> when when you're a programmer and you have a task like this in front of you. And it's, they, what is it? The cobbler's children have no shoes. That's yeah. That's kind of fits where you would expect the cobbler who makes the shoes. All his kids would have awesome shoes, but it turns out they have no shoes or crappy shoes because the cobbler's too busy making shoes for other people or whatever that analogy is. You would expect someone who's a programmer to make some awesome system that would generate these three versions. But when you're a programmer, you maybe it's, maybe it's like when you go on like a junk food binge at midnight. Maybe that's a better analogy. Uh, you have the ability to do whatever you want really, really quickly in the crappiest possible way. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that <laughs> tends to be like for this type of thing, like it's a one-off thing. Yeah. Let me just write a stupid script that like, like, I know I can, there's nothing in this that I can't do because once you know, once you have the knowledge of like, here's what an e, what the EPUB should look like. It should be this bunch of files laid out in this way with this content from here and this content from there. And then I just need to run this thing on it and then it will make the, the Kindle version and then I run this and it'll make the EPUB. And like, once you know how to do it manually, it's so easy to automate that. And so you just, you just go. Like, that's what I did. I just made a, a series of incredibly disgusting Perl scripts that you know, I just 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 start writing. No design, no forethought. This is not a general purpose tool for ebook production. This is how fast and how little do I have to write to do just the job that I want to do. Uh, and I find that when you are an experienced programmer and there's nothing in the way of you doing that, like once you know how to do it manually, automating that, you could do so quickly with so little thought that what you end up with is this gross set of scripts. And you're like, yeah, if I wanted to think about it ahead of time, I could make a system for doing this and make it modular and make it correct and you know the whole nine yards but that's not that's not what you do especially you know i have to i'm writing this review like that's the main task this is supposed to just be like a sideshow it's not like i'm starting a business uh doing ebook production this is just just get this done this happens once a year you can probably reuse these scripts next year but who knows next year maybe the rcms will have changed or you'll be putting it up in different formats so don't spend too much time on it just get something together and that's what i did i Wrote a couple hundred lines of terrible Perl. Oh my gosh! In in a couple of scripts, uh, to to get the job done. And what happens? You like you you press the button, you watch it generate stuff, right? And then you look at what it generated. And you go, oh, actually, this is a little bit wrong. It should put this there, and this has to have an extra blank line in between it and this blah blah. blah. And, and then oh, this this particular image needs special treatment because it's special in some way. So I'll put in a hard code a special case for this particular image line. You, what happens? It's like a ratcheting effect where you just keep regenerating. And then looking at the results, and every time there's something wrong, you just add another little line of code to fix that thing that's wrong. And you, and you never have to think about it again. So by the end, it's filled with all these special cases and everything. But by the end, the output that it produces is exactly what you would have done manually. Only it does it in, you know, three seconds instead of uh, 20 minutes that would have taken you to do it manually. Uh, I'm looking in my, my document here, my about my mountain lion review to see how many times I generated the, the, the book, how many times did I press that one magical button to generate these uh, three formats? <laughs> yeah. It says, this is, this is out of date because after this was written, I did more, but it says 251 times. 
that's how many times I generated the, all three formats, the, the EPUB, the Kindle, and the RCMS version. I'm sure it has gone up since then, so it's probably around 300, but that's how many times I ran the script, uh, saw that there was a problem, fixed it, ran the script, saw that there was a problem, fixed it, so on and so forth. That's that's, that's a lot of what programming is like, which people don't realize. It's you know, the right debug, uh, correct cycle, or whatever the whatever the correct series of words is for that. Um, so here I am. I'm doing this, I don't know, like a week or so ahead of time. I get uh, my scripts working. They produce output. And now I'm kind of into a workflow because I'm, i i got to go back to writing the review. And every time I make a correction to the review or, or do copy editing, by the way, the way the copy editing works is I put the RCMS version into the CMS. They do their editing and copy editing. Tell me when they're done. Then I pull the stuff out of the CMS. And so I need a reverse transformation to go from CMS format back into the HTML format. And then I diff that reverse translated version against my local version and push those changes back into my local version. Then I regenerate. And then, you know, it's it's very much like software development in terms of the tools you're using. You know, you, you diffing things, using source control with versioning, uh, which I didn't use, but I have my own informal Ver- my, my script made uh, saved off uh, previous versions into versions files in some ghetto format, and that's how I know how many times I, I generated it. I just looked how many old versions I had in there, and because I'm paranoid about backups, right? Um, so that that was the process, and I went back to writing. Uh, the next part of the process, like we're leading up to the, the time when I'm going to put this up, is uh, the, the pricing model for how much we can charge for these books. I think I might have talked about this already a little bit in, well, actually in my, uh, in my blog post, I talked about it a little bit, but the pricing model for, for uh, Kindle books is a little bit weird. This is part of Amazon's KDP program, Kindle Direct Publishing program. Uh, I put a link in the show notes to their pricing page, which is public. You can go there and look at the, uh, the formula for determining how much it's going to cost you to sell your book on Amazon and how, mu- how much you can get in royalties. And they have basically two options. There's the 35% royalty option, which is the simplest. You get 35% of the the purchase price of your book. And there are really not many caveats beyond that besides some weird stuff about how much your price your book is going to be sold for in foreign countries and stuff like that. And that doesn't sound like a very good deal. Like you write this book and then you get 35% of it and you know Amazon gets 65. That's doesn't sound very fair, does it? If you're the one who wrote the book and what is Amazon doing? They're just letting people buy it. But that's one option available <laughs> to you, right. right? Why would they even have that 35% option when the other option is a 70% option? You get 70%. Why, why would anyone pick the 35% option? But when you start reading the rules for the 70% one, you start to learn why. And the secret is delivery costs. Delivery costs with a capital D and a capital C, which is nice because they're recognizing that it's not the actual cost of delivery, but it's something we call delivery costs. And that, that's its proper name. Uh, they charge you money per uh, unit uh, number of bytes that your book is. So in the U.S., it's 15 cents per megabyte. So when I was first generating this book, before I had looked at this pricing page, it was pretty big. I think it was like maybe it was like 60 megs or something like that. It was very, very, very big. So you can do the math on 60 megabytes. And see, okay, so I'll get a 70% royalty minus 15 cents for every megabyte on a $5 book. Suddenly, you're down below what you would have gotten with a 35% royalty. And now you understand why the 35% royalty might be attractive to you. Because if your book is so big and you want to sell it so cheaply that 15 cents per megabyte eats up all of your profit and then some, maybe you start looking at the 35% thing. 
And by the way, the reason my book was so big is because since I want all my screenshots to show you every single pixel, everything was in ping format. You know, it's not a lossy format like JPEG, which would be much, much smaller and certainly not in GIF format, which would have, you know, the colors all screwed up. Uh, and, you know, I had enlarged versions of all these larger images in the hopes that I could figure out some way to get the ebook software to show you enlarged versions of the image, which is not well supported at all. Like, you, you know, you tap on the, the color image while reading it and it would show you the larger version of it. That is not well supported at all by readers. But I, I held out hope that I'd find a way to do that. So I was including those images. So the first thing I had to do was say, OK, this isn't going to fly. I have to strip this book down. So I got rid of all the big images and give up on my dream of having you be able to tap an image and see a bigger, larger version of it because I couldn't figure out a way to get that to work consistency and consistently in most of the readers that I cared about. Uh, and the problem was that due to the automation, like I, if I could get it to work in the, the, the KF8 version of the thing, that doesn't really help me because the Mobi version is packed into the same file. And if it looked gross in the Mobi version or like showed a bunch of those images hanging off the end of the book, like just randomly, because that was the only way I could jump to them and show the larger version, that wasn't good to me. Like there was no way with the tools that I could say, only include these big images in the KF8 version, don't include in the Mobi version. Uh, so that was off the table for that reason. And the second reason was that I would, you know, it would, it would put me into negative profit. It would like cost me money to distribute this book for $5 with, with this size. So I had to cut out all the big images and take maybe the three or four biggest images and turn them into to JPEGs instead of pings. And that pushed me down to a size where we can actually make a little bit of money maybe on each sale of this thing. I forget how small I make it. I mean, I think it may be down to like 11 megabytes or something like that. Um, so that was disappointing because I did want to have the big images and I did want the high quality ones. But I only, like I said, I only converted the very largest images to be JPEG. And I don't think anyone really noticed or if they did, no one complained to me about it. Uh, so now I had a book that was a size that was tenable and seemed like uh, it was going okay. And my, my testing before the day of release was I wanted it to look good, like where you'd expect it to look good. Who's who's reading a umpteen page mountain lion review? Probably a bunch of Apple nerds or people into them. So I wanted it to look good. Respecting uh, your audience. Yeah, I wanted it to look good on Macs on the web, right? Because that's where I'm looking at it most of the time. In the Kindle reader on the Mac, uh, in the iOS Kindle reader, in iBooks, and this is on the iPad on and on the iPod touch and on the iPhone. Uh and on actual Kindle devices, especially the Kindle Fire, which was color. Because, you know, if you're looking at this on an e-ink Kindle, you can, I guess. But, like, all the images are just ugly and black and white. And that is not an optimal reading experience. And I wasn't going to spend too much time making sure it looked perfect for those people. Because they're, it's never going to look perfect for them. They don't even get to see the color images. So that was kind of where I wanted it to look good. And I felt kind of like an iOS developer because I had, like, the seven devices lined up on my desk. And, you know, constantly loading the thing on the Retina uh, iPad, on the non-Retina iPad, on the iPod Touch, on the Retina iPhone, uh, you know, and, in, in the Kindle reader on the Mac, and in the web browser, and then, you know, checking it in Chrome and, and Safari and stuff like that. I never tested it in IE. Sorry, IE people. I also got no complaints about that, so apparently that was okay. Uh, so I feel like I'm ready to go. And my deployment plan is, all right, the Mountain Lions release day comes up. It's copy edited. It's edited. It's in the CMS. I'm making little minor tweaks. Every time I make a little minor tweak, I regenerate the files. I have them up on a little, you know, private FTP server. Uh, oh, the other thing about this is that I'm not going to be the one to upload the 
Kindle version to Amazon. Some Ars Technica staffers do that because Ars Technica owns the account, like our Condé Nast owns the account, you know, that is actually going to get the money for the thing. It's a, it's a corporate account. And so they're the corporate account that has to actually do the part where you submit the book to Amazon. And, you know, I had this all worked out ahead of time. And the people on the RS side, uh, I asked them, okay, so here's the thing. I think you should upload this version like a couple of days ahead of time because I'm not sure how long it's going to take to like go through the process. And I want to be ready to go like, you know, on day of, you just press a button and boom, it's available for sale, right? Uh, so like three or four days ahead of time, coordinated with them, they uploaded the book. They said, okay, it said it's processing. Okay, they said it's processed. And, and you know, it seems like it's ready to go. And so I said, all right, so does that mean on the day that we publish, you just have to put push a button and, and it just shows up for sale. And uh, turns out, arts, turns out, yeah. no. Well, the guy on the art side, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that's how I think that's how it's going to work. Uh, now, the problem is, I don't. It, who's to blame for this? I'm to blame as much as the arts people is to blame as much as anyone is because the problem is the person who did the Amazon stuff last year no longer works at ours. So it was the blind leading the blind here. None of us had ever done this before. Uh, and so all we had to go on was, does it look like when you hit this button? Like, I, I tried to do as much research as I could, but I had never actually even seen the publishing interface because I'm not the one, you know, I, I don't have the account. Uh, I'm not controlling the upload. And the people who were controlling it had never done it before. And they read all the help files and they checked all the documentation. And like, yeah, it looks like on the day of release, I'm going to press a button and it's going to appear for sale. Uh, so, yeah, so that that's what we thought. And so the CMS, we know how that works. And the RCMS, okay, we're going to press a button. It's going to be published. And the EPUB version, ours controls that as well. You just upload it, stick it in the right place, make a little box on the article that links to it and stuff like that. That is not quite as finely tuned as it should be, but at least ours has, has some control over it. And then the PDF version was not made by me at all, but apparently that was under control. I knew that was going to lag behind because if it's not made by me at all, it means it's generated from source files that I had updated, you know, hours or days uh, before that. Um, so here we are on the morning of release. Uh, press the publish button. On the, on the in the CMS and the article appears on the site. Boom. Yep. It has a little box on the front page that says, "If you are you an Ars Premier member, click here to download the PDF or the EPUB version." Both of which are available and ready because we have them ready to go. Uh, slightly before we press that button, we had the guy press the button on Amazon and say, "Okay, press the publish button there." And as soon as he pressed that button, he got a message that says, "Your thing will be available for sale in like twelve to twenty-four hours." <laughs> and that was not what we wanted to see on the morning of release, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and we, you know, what, what can you say there? Like, we we didn't know what we were doing. We thought, it, you know, as far as we could tell, it would be available for sale immediately because there was a pro like when you uploaded, it said it's processing your file, and it took like half a day for it to be processed and ready. So we're like, that's the that's the waiting part, right? We waited through that, and now it's ready for sale. Kind of like on, on the App Store where it says ready for sale, and you can choose at what time you want it to appear in the store, right? We went through you know the process that validates the format of the book and does all the other stuff and and okay's it. But apparently, that's, you know, I still don't know, by the way, what this interface looks like, because I still have not actually created like a merchant account myself and gone to upload anything. So I don't even know what's going on here. But the bottom line is, launch day comes, the excitement about reading the review is there, and our book is not available for sale, which is like the worst thing that could possibly happen. Because unlike a novel or something like that, this is a news-based event. People are going to be interested in Mountain Lion today, this morning, right now. And if you don't have anything available for them to get, to buy... They're just not going to buy. So who knows how many sales we lost by not having this book available right. the day of. I'm sure it is basically most, how much sales did you lose? Most of the sales you would have got because yeah. that's when everyone's going to the site and we just didn't have anything for them to buy. Uh, 
So that was a big, big bummer. And there's no one to blame with that except for ourselves and our lack of experience publishing on Amazon. All right. You know, for example, next year, now we will know. Uh, now, the bad thing about this is, all right, so now say, say you could go back in time and know what you know. When would you hit the button to publish it? 12 to 24 hours is like a big window. Like yeah. when, when do you, because you don't, it's not like the app store where you can say, please publish this on this date and you press a button and it will, you know, process it and get it ready. It basically, it appears whenever it's ready. There's no, you can't time the release exactly, which may seem crazy. Like why wouldn't a store have that? But if you think about it for things like novels, uh, it's not, there's not, they're not news based. It's not, no one's trying to read about this new product that's been released on this day. So, you know, a 12 to 24 hour window for the release of a new novel, that's reasonable. You know, maybe the, the electronic one lags a little bit. Maybe you can pre-order it or something like, you know, it's, it's not a big deal except for these weird, this is a really a big news article review in the form of a book. So Amazon is not geared for the type of thing we were trying to get it to do. So even for next year or whatever, we still won't know when to hit that. Like what you don't want to happen, or maybe you do want this to happen, I don't know, is to hit the button, you know, 12 to 24 hours ahead of time. So you hit it 24 hours ahead of time and it goes up in four hours. So now you've like, not broken an NDA, but you're like broken the implicit embargo from Apple saying, you know, don't publish your review of Mountain Lion until Mountain Lion is actually released. And they would be angry at you. And it's like, but we don't control, you know, we have to. So you have to play it on the safe side where you press the button only a few hours or eight hours or so beforehand, and you just cross your fingers and hope that it gets processed quickly and appears quickly, right? Like, I don't know which is better or worse, like to accidentally release your re your review early. Uh, or maybe like people wouldn't know. I mean, because you can search Amazon. You search for, you know, <laughs> Syracuse and Mountain Lion in the two days before, and like, you'll find it. Oh, there it is. Now I can get early <laughs> access to the review. Right. It, it's a system that's just not geared towards no it's still very much following the old the old-fashioned book publishing model that i have written a book and it's ready and we're putting it out there and and this is you're doing it the modern way you're doing it the web publishing way and you're trying to use an infrastructure that was clearly designed and built for something that is antiquated it doesn't understand the concept of an nda or a launch day or any of that stuff. It's, it's just not it's weird that like for a product slash news, you know, product review and news site like ours, technically, why are you publishing a book at all? And the only reason, like, I don't know why someone thought to do it in the line review. I figured, well, some, it's so long that people might want to read it on their e-readers. Like, they might not want to sit in front of their computer screen for five hours reading this thing. So let's try putting it in an e-book version because then people could, like, be leaning back on their bed, on their Kindles or their iPads and reading it. And it turns out lots of people like to do that. And I was as surprised as anybody. Why would you... I think the web version is vastly superior to the any of the ebook versions. Like it's just as better fidelity. You can follow the links. You can zoom in on the images, and that one that one's free. Why would you pay five dollars to get an inferior quality version? And you know, so part of my thing with Mountain Lion was I wanted to make the ebooks as close as I could to the web version, which is also something that flies in the face of what ebooks want. They're not supposed to be web pages. They're supposed to be books. Uh, but I wanted them to be like, all right. So if you're going to pay five dollars, I don't want you to pay five dollars for a massively inferior reading experience. I want it to be almost as good as the web version, as good as I can get it. So that's why I wanted to uh, control it and, and uh, do as good a job as I could. But it turns out people do want to read that or maybe they just want to give me $5 or whatever. So here we are in this, in this system where we're trying to use Amazon's book publishing thing to publish something that's not really a book in a way that's different than books are published. And it, it was, it's kind of a big mess. Uh, Let's do a quick sponsor. Squeeze it in here. All right. Second sponsor, Shutterstock.com. 20 million stock photos. They do vectors. They do illustrations. They do now video. 
So if you're looking, if, let's say you're building a website. Let's say you have a blog. You're writing an article about Mac OS X, whatever. You wanna, you're making a print ad. You're doing something for a trade show. I mean, even building an app. It doesn't matter. They've got stuff that you can use. And a lot of people, when they think of Shutterstock, they, you know, the name especially, they think it's stock photos. They do so much more than that. They have tons and tons and tons of really awesome illustration. Like I said, vector stuff, video clips, all of this stuff. And they're adding 10,000 new images every single day. You can find images from the whole world, not just stuff that happens in like New York City. And that's, that's really cool because if you want to build something that's international or something that has a, a bit of a different flair, I mean, they've got it. And what's really, really cool about these guys is that you can download any image in any size and you just pay one price. They're not going to nickel and dime you. Oh, well, you want the, oh, you want the high-resolution version. Well, if you want the high-res one, then you're going to have to pay three times. No, it's, it's one thing. And they've got really, really awesome stuff like infographic templates. And I mentioned the video clips, all of this stuff. They've got 24-hour support during the week in case you need it. You can call someone and you can say, hey, give me a hand. Help me out. Help me figure this thing out. What should I get? Uh, but you can sign up for free. You don't need a credit card. You don't need any of that stuff. And you're going to, if you, if you use this code, Dan sent me nine because it's ninth month. Dan sent me nine. You get 30% off any package you decide to pick up over there. So go check them out. Shutterstock.com place to go and use that code. Dan sent me nine. Another new sponsor. Let's make them uh, proud that they sponsored uh, Mr. Syracuse. Dan sent me nine. Nine. Dan sent nine me nine times. times. Yes. Marco totally didn't catch the reference yesterday. I don't know if you heard that. I did, and I heard you making fun of him. Was I wasn't making born, fun was of Borman him. Was he born when Ferris Bueller came out? I don't know if that... I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know people who've been born well after Ferris Bueller who still consider it to be one of the best movies of all time. Yes. All right, so... That was disappointing that the book is not going to be available for sale. It's kind of our fault, but even if we had known ahead of time, it would have been dicey and I would have still been cranky about the fact that we couldn't time it exactly. But it's just a mismatch between what Amazon does and what we do. Uh, but now we start to get into the things that uh, that were lame. Uh, blame falls more squarely on the shoulders of various parties. Uh, first one, I want to talk about iBooks a little bit. Question a lot of people had is, all right, so you're, this is an Apple-centric review. You're worried about how it's going to look on Macs and on iOS devices. You think your audience is a bunch of Mac nerds, right? Why aren't you releasing this book in the iBooks store, which is Apple's ebook publishing thing? They have a reader application. They have a store where you can buy stuff. Why are you not putting it there? Why are you putting it up in Amazon? Uh, part of it just has to do with inertia. Like, well, that's what we did with the Lion Review, and people liked it. Uh, and the iBooks fans were satisfied by the fact that you could get the EPUB version for basically the same price. Because you could, you could buy the book for $5. You su- could subscribe to ours for $5 for a month and then cancel your subscription at the end of it, which is kind of a hassle. But anyway, it's the same price, and you get an EPUB version that you can read in iBooks. I'm like, well, the iBooks people will be happy, uh, and, but last year everyone loved the Kindle one, and we didn't get many complaints about format. But why not the iBook store? You've got the EPUB version. You could, in theory, just put that up to the, the iBook store. Like you've already, you've already done the work. You've already got a format that the iBook store accepts. They accept things in EPUB format, uh, and you're making sure it looks good in the iBooks reader. Why not just upload that? And this is kind of part of the touchy-feely stuff that I talk about with, like, Apple's reputation and how people feel about it. This is, this is one of the effects, that, one of the things that happens is without actually looking into it, I just assumed that the iBooks approval process would be a nightmare. 
would it be like would it be like the app store approval process so like it would take forever a human being would have to look at the book and the, and since this is about apple stuff they would be cranky about what i say or what i don't say like you know this doesn't happen in amazon but it would be like app review when you do app review a human being looks at your application and gives it thumbs up to thumbs down we all hear the stories that oh you got rejected because you put the icon of an iphone in there or something i'm like can you imagine trying to get my review through which is filled with screenshots of unreleased apple software and like I just said, forget it. That would never happen. Like, there's no way I could possibly get this thing done in time to be submitted for review like a month ahead of time. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. You know, I just assumed that process would be a nightmare without even looking into it. And this is how Apple's policies in other areas can affect people's views of, you know, and it's not, it's not logical. I'm not, it's like I'm blaming, I'm like, how can you blame Apple for policies you imagine they might have? I'm just saying this is the carryover effect among uh, anybody of, having policies that people don't like, and then just assuming that that's the kind of company you are. You're the kind of company that's going to take forever to do anything. You want to look at everything by hand. I hear all these nightmare stories. I'm just not even going to consider submitting my stuff to Apple because I know they're going to be a nightmare. Uh, and, you know, it's not fair to Apple to think that, but that is the consequence of those types of policies, that people who are too lazy like me to check into what it really is, just, just going to say, oh, Apple, forget it. We're never getting this thing through iBooks, right? Which is, which is a shame for the iBooks people and is not their fault. But that's what I thought about uh, submitting to iBooks. So I didn't even consider it, right? And I figured, well, I've got this version. It looks okay uh, in, in iBooks. So it'll make people who want to read it in that, in that application happy, right? Now, trying to get things to look just so in all these different readers is a challenge. And this comes down to my inexperience publishing electronic books. And as people pointed out in the chat room before, I worked for an electronics book company many years ago. We had what was then the largest electronic bookstore in the world, but the world was much, the world of ebooks was much smaller then. And our ebook store was dinky by today's standards. But we were there first and we were there with a cruddy proprietary book format. It worked on Palm handhelds to tell you how long ago this was. And there was also a Mac client and a Windows client and a Windows CE client and yeah. Anyway, uh, that doesn't mean I have any experience publishing in EPUB or Kindle, right. neither of which format even existed back then. Right. <laughs> so I had no practical experience making a book that would look good in all these different things. And I figured, well, the best way to do it is to just keep trying and then keep looking at the books in these readers. Right. So I'll keep making the book. And I'll load it in iBooks and I'll load it in the Kindle reader and I'll load it in the Kindle previewer and I'll just, you know, I'll keep going until it looks right. And I was very frustrated early on by how terrible these things render, you know, basic HTML. Like I struggled for a long time in the beginning to get a centered image with a centered caption underneath it. And you would think like, well, you just, you know, there's a million ways you can do that in HTML, all of which will work perfectly in a web browser, but almost none of which will work in like the Mobi format on the Kindle e-ink reader from however umpteen years ago. Like, so, okay, I'll, I'll put the image and then I'll put the caption in a p tag underneath it nope i'll put the the image in a p tag and the caption in a p tag i'll put the image in a div and the caption in a, like anyone who knows html knows a thousand ways you can get that thing to work i'll put it in a table i'll put it you know like i'm, I'm trying everything i'm trying a every you know i'm i know how to get things working in a web browser i have vast experience doing stuff in a web browser but that experience is useless to you for readers because it's like trying to code to like web tv 1.0 these are not web browsers you're writing to you're writing markup to browsers that may like not even know that span or div are a tag and just ignore them entirely, right? They have no idea about CSS or they support like three CSS properties and you don't know which ones those are. Like, so 
to correctly targeting all these different readers, especially since you have to target many of them with the same source file, like that Mobi file has to work in any, it's just one Mobi document. It has to work in every Mobi reader. And if two Mobi readers, you know, two old versions of Kindle render it correctly, but four of them don't, well, you got to find another way to do it. And same thing with the, with the KF8 format and all that stuff. Oh, and by the way, both the Mobi and the KF8 format are being generated from a single file. So it's not like I can set, generate a totally different Mobi file and a totally different KF8 file. If I had more experience with tools, there may be a way to do that, but I couldn't figure it out. It was just like feed, feed this into Kindle Gen and it produces a, a Kindle version of the thing that contains both those formats. So I spent a long time torturing myself trying to figure that out. Uh, what I should have done, I think I've said this in past shows, is contacted someone who has actual experience fighting with the real world reality of these readers. Uh, and that would have helped me a lot. I, I contacted Serenity Colwell, who does the books for Macworld, to ask her for some tips about iBooks, but I only did that after the thing had come out. Uh, now, for somebody who prepares and obsesses as much as you, I would have thought that you would have tested all of these things way in advance with, you know, like little random just ex- example things. Like you would have done like a one a one page PDF file and put it out on the Amazon store. And I, you know what I'm saying? Like, just to well, see what would happen. You're so thorough. Putting it up in the store wasn't something that I did. It's just, we're talking about the formatting. I did test it in all of these things, but it's like, I just could not figure out a way. For, one of the problems I had, for example, is that the iBooks reader tends to stretch things out vertically to yeah. avoid awkward page breaks. Like if you have a giant image and that image isn't going to fit on this page, it stretches out the rest of the content so that image will be in the next page. <laughs> it's helping. Just, it's, it's just which, a lot yeah. of helping. And again, a web browser doesn't do that because there's no pagination in a web browser, right? Which is fine, except that it was pulling my captions away from my images, like pulling them vertically away. So the caption would be separated by an inch of white space. Because it, And I was trying to say, D- stop doing that. Stop, push, get, thing. you know. So I was trying all different kinds of formats for how I could possibly get those things together. Uh, and, you know, the iBooks format was less important to me. But eventually when, you know, the stuff went up, I'm like, I can't, I can't pull these captions down. And I, I contacted, uh, ran about this. And she said, oh, you just have to do... Uh, the CSS property for avoid page break between these two elements. Uh, and I, was, I would never have thought of that because I'm like, it's not breaking the page. It's just pulling them apart. So I did that and it didn't work. And so then she was stumped and I had to send her the file and say, all right, so I tried the avoid page break thing. And, but the problem is it's not breaking the page. It's pulling them apart. Why is it pulling them apart? So I sent her the files and she eventually figured out what it was. There was some leftover CSS rule that I'd had from, you know, iteration 320 in me trying to make this market work correctly that had what was it i think i had changed uh, uh image elements to display a block or something like that as part of one of my million efforts to like remove the margins and the padding and stuff like that uh and it turned out that when images are display a block it pulls them apart and when you change them back to not say anything about the display or allow them to be in line it keeps them together with the page break blah 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 right you know that's just a nightmare of tag soup and trying different CSS rules to get things to work. And by the way, this is not the worst of it. The worst of it is like, how do you get retina images to display? I spent a long time trying to say, show the retina image if you're on a retina device that can support uh, showing retina images, but it has to be the correct width, but the width has to be in points and not pixels, but you can't put the width in the image tag because <laughs> the reader will freak out. Like, such a nightmare. That's why I only did like three retina yeah, images. Yeah, I had three. It was not, it was not uh, something that I uh, would, you know, like the Kindle has a special way to use fake CSS uh, selector rules to only select things on Mobi and only select things on KF8. But the ones that don't understand KF8 format also don't understand those selectors. Oh, God, it's a, an incredible nightmare <laughs> uh, trying to get these. So the format of the book not looking right was a, a very big challenge. The Kindle book 
pretty much looked okay from from day one. The iBooks version looked okay, except for the pulling the the, the captions away from the uh, the images, and then I fixed that shortly thereafter, having figured this out. Uh, but even on this front, even if I do everything that I could possibly do, you know, preview it and all these type of things and get everything looking right, there was a problem where the font was like microscopic on the Kindle Touch. And I didn't understand why the font was microscopic on the Kindle Touch because when I loaded the file in the Kindle Previewer and changed the device to Kindle Touch, it looked fine. And it continued to look fine, but then people with actual physical Kindle Touches up, you know, showed screenshots like, here's what this looks like on the Kindle Touch. And it looks gross. So I had to have a friend <laughs> with, with a Kindle Touch, a physical one. Right. Because because Amazon's tools for previewing what it will look like on a Kindle Touch were lying to me, basically. So I would send him versions of the book and say, does this one look right in the Kindle Touch? It eventually got it, look, got it to look right in the Kindle Touch by tweaking where I'm setting the font and what size I'm setting it to and all sorts of rules like this. And by the way, the tools I was using to try to work on this is I, I have a friend who... Uh, started an uh, electronic publishing consulting company that was eventually bought out by O'Reilly, and now she's like the vice president of important things at uh, Safari Online. And she's like an ebook guru, ePub guru. And so she has a series of blog posts back when she had a consulting company called Three Press Consulting. I put a link to it in the show notes, and she wrote blog posts, and her you know uh, partners in the business wrote many blog posts about how to make a proper conformant ePub document. And they created a tool called EPUB Check that will validate your EPUB, which I used and made sure I had no errors and make sure everything was valid. But making sure you have a valid, well-created, uh, you know, I sent her the EPUB uh, before I put it up and said, does this EPUB look okay? And she gave me some advice about how to tweak the metadata and stuff. Just because you conform to the standard, though, kind of like web standards, does not mean browsers, or in this case, reader applications, will render your book the way you want. So I'm still forced to make sure it looks right in all the devices. And here I was thwarted, in the case of the Kindle Touch, by Amazon's previewer tool, that lied to me about how it looked. So I eventually got that sorted out as well. All right, so there's, there's an, my inexperience in putting out books like this, plus a little bit of Kindle of Amazon's tools not being accurate. Because, like, what can you do there? Like, I, didn't, I don't have, not like Marco, I don't have a million Kindle devices. I don't have a Kindle Touch to test on. I had to test in their little previewer thing, and it lied to me about how it would look. Mm-hmm. All right, but so here's the, the worst thing that happened that's uh, Amazon's fault. Is the the thing that really drove me nuts. Besides the you know the not getting the thing up on on time, which is kind of our fault, and you know kind of a mismatch between what Amazon wants. When the thing actually appeared, it was like, all right, yeah, finally it's on the Amazon site. I could update my blog post and say, hey, everybody, it's up. Go to this URL at Amazon. You can buy the book. And if, I don't know if you've ever purchased a kindle book but yeah. when you buy it it's like a one-click experience and you pick which device you want to send the book to like it will automatically send it through there right send this to john syracuse's ipad 3 or whatever it is right it's like their whisper sync system whisper. Where they can send it to your ipod touch send it to your mac or whatever it's just a way to to get it onto the device without you having to do something all wireless wirelessly through the network it's very neat and you can do this on on an ios device just by opening it up and downloading it but what's nice about this is that you can you can send it like at purchase time and you can tell it where to go and it just winds up there so you don't have to it's just there waiting for you right it's a, it's a really nice purchase experience but the problem was when this thing appeared on the site you could send the kindle ebook to everywhere except for your ipad and it said you know not available on that device you you know you could you could send it to your kindle regular e-ink kindle reader you could send it to your kindle fire you could send it to your mac you could send it to your iPod Touch, your iPhone, but you could not send it to the iPad. And the iPad was really like my go-to. Like this book looks best in the 
well, really, it really looks best on the web and second best in the Kindle reader for the Mac because that supports Kindle Format 8. The iOS Kindle reader does not even support Kindle Format 8, which is incredibly disappointing. You would think they would care about what they're, you know, I guess they don't care that much about iOS. So the, the, the Kindle iOS reader still does not support Kindle Format 8. But if you're going to read something with big screenshots, you want to read it on a big screen. And this thing just wouldn't send to the iPad. And so then I'm, you know, I'm furiously Googling around uploaded Amazon Kindle book won't display on iPad and you find a million other people with exactly the same problem. People are like, oh, well, did you put in, did you do a fixed format book and then you told it it couldn't work on the the iPad? No, I didn't do that. Did you put in images in the wrong format? No. Do you have errors in your book? No, it, it checks out. You know, everything I check is, is, is a dead end and there's just lots of people with complaints about this happening and no real solutions. Uh, and so you know what happens when when this is the case. What happens, and this happened with the Kindle Touch thing too, is immediately people start putting in one-star reviews. I I bought this book and it won't go onto my iPad and now I'm pissed. Or I bought this book and like people up, you know how you can upload customer images to Amazon? People uploaded customer images. Here's what this thing looks like on my Kindle Touch. This is crap, one star, I want my money back, the text is too small. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And so what you're trying to do, w w working with a partner like Amazon, is can I get in touch with somebody in Amazon to say, why the heck is it saying this book doesn't work on the iPad? I know for sure it works on the iPad. I'm looking at it on the iPad. Like if I take the actual file that I uploaded to you and put it on my iPad, it renders just fine. And many people found like, you know, the, the nerds who happen to download, you can find a way to somehow get it onto your iPad, whether it's through jailbreaking or getting the file and email it to yourself or, you know, getting it on your Mac and finding where it's hidden in a little like. It, it rendered fine on the iPad. They just wouldn't allow you to send it to it. And what that means for most people is like, oh, it doesn't work on my iPad. Well, you know, one star. And so I sent an email to them. The, the person who has the RS account, uh, the, the merchant account or whatever, sent an email to their support address. Cannot get in touch with any human being. I'm complaining about it on Twitter. Nice people who currently work at Amazon or used to work at Amazon are getting in touch with me through back channels, trying to talk to the powers that be. And I'm hearing things like, oh, this is a known issue. That sometimes when you put something up, it says it's not available on iPad and they're looking into it and blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is clock is ticking here. It's already been like, you know, a day since that I should have the thing up. It's finally up. And now it doesn't work on iPad, the platform that most people want to read it on. And I'm getting terrible reviews and it's just driving me nuts. And I cannot get a human being to respond to me from Amazon in any way. I can get human beings to respond to me through back channels, through email and on Twitter, but that's not official channels and they can't actually do anything to fix it. They're just, <laughs> they just symp sympathetic people <laughs> listening right. to you. And I appreciate all their help and they're telling me what I should tell the support to try to get the right kind of things. And they're telling me, you know, unofficial things about what this problem might or might not be. And I'm just like, just someone go in there and click the checkbox that says available on iPad. Like you feel like it's, it's an minute interface that you should be able to go into and you go click, 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 done. Okay, now it's available on iPad. Like I don't even care why it says it's not available. I don't care why the tools that tried to detect, uh, you know, oh, what, what platform should, I don't care why that tool doesn't work. I don't care anything about it. All I want is for people to be able to buy it on the iPad so I can stop getting terrible reviews and I can stop being pissed off because of all this time I spent making sure this thing works right in retina and non-retina iPads and, in, you know, all these different formats and everything going out the window. So this was incredibly frustrating to me. I think it was three days after this all began that I got a reply from what I assume is someone in some call center somewhere who knows nothing saying, I'm sorry, but because you are not the owner of the merchant account that uploaded this book, we cannot help you. Please respond. Uh, please send another support request from the email that belongs to the merchant account. That's what, that's what they responded to me three days after I did this. Uh, 
because I, I'm not the owner of the merchant account, but like, you know, I'm the author of the book and maybe like take two seconds to confirm with the merchant account, right? <laughs> and they had sent an email from the merchant account too, but I guess mine was sent earlier. And so we had to wait for them to come back and their reply back was, uh, we see there's a problem, we're looking into it or some BS thing like that. Meanwhile, still not available on iPad, right? So then I think it was maybe three and a half days, sometime in the middle of the night, maybe on the fourth day, suddenly the thing was available for iPad. No explanation, no response from any human. Just suddenly you can go to the site and it's available on iPad. I didn't ask questions. I didn't care why. I'm like, fine, <laughs> help for iPad. Hallelujah. You, you know, <laughs> hopefully the one-star reviews will stop. People can come and say, now it's available on iPad, you know. And by the way, everyone who, unlike the App Store, this is a place where you can actually respond in the comments. What I would do in the comments is I would respond and say, if you're having any problems getting your iPad, just get in touch with me. And I'll fix it for you. And I didn't want to say I'll give you a free copy, but that's basically what I did. I emailed people unencrypted, you know, DRM-free versions of this Kindle book. I said, this will work on your iPad. It's the same thing that's there. It just has no DRM in it or whatever. Here you go. And I helped as many people as I possibly could through, like, manual customer support, emailing one 11 meg file after another or putting it up at a, at a secret Dropbox URL. Giving it. So there are tons of unencrypted copies of this Kindle book out there on the net because I'm just trying to help people read the thing. Like, you know... This is all the angry email of like, I can't believe you didn't even test this on the iPad. Why would you put this book out and not let it to be viewed on the iPad? This is so stupid, blah, blah, blah. You know, just a support nightmare. Bad experience all around. Uh, and so I was like, all right, fine, it's off the iPad, of course. But at this point, the one that's available on, on Amazon is like a three or four day old copy. And I've made so many typo corrections and, and little additional notes and stuff like that since then. So I want to have the updated version up there. So I give the updated version to the VRS guy and I say, all right, show, send this updated version through. Now, Amazon is terrible about Kindle updates. This is just an infrastructure problem that has nothing to do with a mismatch of needs or anything like that. If you have an updated version of a book and you put it for sale in the store, everyone who downloaded the old version isn't even notified about the new version and does not automatically get it and has no easy way to get it. There's some crappy way where they'll send that person an email and they have to respond to that email with something and then somehow the new version is downloaded but they lose all their notes and highlights and it's not a good experience. But I had a better version of the book that I wanted there to be up. I said, okay, well, at least the existing people, I feel bad for them. If they can figure out somehow to navigate Amazon's crappy system and like delete the book and try to redownload it. By the way, that doesn't even work. If you delete the book from your device and redownload it, you will get the one that you purchased. You won't get the new version of the book. So there's this convoluted process through which you try to get the new version of the book. I don't understand it. I can never get it to work. It's terrible. I hate it. But I said, at least going forward, for the five more people that are going to buy this book ever, they will get the updated version now that it's like three or four days later. So I give him the new version of the book. He uploads it to Amazon. We wait the however many hours it takes for it to appear. It appears on the site. And what do you think happened? Not available on iPad. Of course. Of course it's not available on iPad. Because we uploaded a new version of the book and it decided this shouldn't be allowed on the iPad. And the, the reviews come back. And I can't... Oh, you told me there's an updated version of this book, but I can't get an iPad. Why would you not upload the iPad version? Are you so stupid? Ah. So I go through the same process, trying to get in touch with the humans. We did it. We went through this before. You never really responded. I don't know why it suddenly became available on the iPad. I don't know why it's not available now. It should be. I assure you it works on the iPad. A couple of the replies we got are like... You know, iPad books must fulfill these requirements. You know, like boilerplate replies, like please read this help document to know how to make documents for your iPad. It's like it works on the iPad. Just check the checkbox. So hard, <laughs> so so hard to, to you know when when you know there's a technical solution to doing this and it's just killing you that like the, the time window of anyone being interested in this thing at all is rapidly closing and you cannot get in touch with a human who can do anything for you. 
All you get are boilerplate replies 24 to 48 hours afterwards that are no help whatsoever. Incredibly frustrating. Eventually, like a day or so after that, suddenly that one became available for the iPad. Why? No communication from anybody about why that was the case. Maybe it just, like, does it lag for three days? Did a human being fix it? Is there some sort of, you know, problem somewhere? If you go looking around, by the way, if you Google for uh, Amazon Kindle not available on iPad, you'll find this problem has not just affected my book. It affected tons of other books, and you see similar complaints and no actual communication. Uh, and then after that, I'm like, okay, well, we can never upload a new version of the book because as soon as we do, it will not be available on iPad. And we'll have to go through the same... Uh, electronic bombardment campaign, which will result in no actual reply from a human, but suddenly the book will become available on iPad. So the version, the Kindle version that's up there is newer, but it is not as new as the latest version of the EPUB thing. By the way, all this time I'm regenerating the EPUB version and re-uploading it to Ars Technica. So the people who were getting the EPUB from Ars Technica were getting the newer version. And of course, the web version is updated as well. Uh, around the same time, I got contacted by people from the iBook store saying, hey, you guys should do stuff in iBooks. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, I just assumed it would take forever to get things through on that. And they're like, well, you know, we can expedite it. You know, if you're, we like you or whatever, we do, we do expediting for important publications. And Macworld publishes through the iBook store. And I'm assuming they get things expedited and they do stuff about pre-release software, you know, but they're, they're trying to work with you. Uh, and, and by this point, it's like too late for anything for the Mountain Line review. But I told the RS guys, well, you know, I had to hand off control from my contact at iBookstore and say, okay, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not the publisher here. I'm just the author. So, you know, talk to the Ars Technica guys and the Ars Technica guys will have to set up the merchant account and blah, blah, blah. And they started the wheels rolling on that. We figured try to get this set up because the next article I write next year or somebody else's article, maybe we'll try the iBookstore. But it turned out that there was just setting up that account that involved lots of, you know, complicated things for dealing with your tax IDs and your corporate identity. Oh, yeah. and I don't even know what that... I wasn't involved in that process at all. I handed it off to the Ars people. I don't know how far it's gone, but at the very least, it's not something we could have done at last minute. So I hope maybe by next year, perhaps I will try to publish in the iBook store and have that available day off because from what I've heard, the iBook store is like the app store where you can get it approved ahead of time and set a date on it. That doesn't help that much because if I don't know how long the review process is going to take, I don't know, do I have to submit this a week ahead of time, a month? Like, there's no way I could have submitted this even two weeks ahead of time. One week beforehand, it would be kind of out of date. Like, I wrote the Facebook section with, like, four days to go before a publication. Because that was, you know, I got my, or less than that, three days to go. Because I got my call with Apple where they told me all the information about the Facebook stuff that I didn't know because I, you know, it wasn't out yet. Uh, that was three days before the release. And then I, it's, I got off the call and wrote, like, you know, that section of the review. So there's no way that could have been in the review on the iBook store because there's no way I could pass something to the iBook store and then have it ready, go through the review process in less than three days and be ready for sale. So no I'm, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do uh, next year about that. But and you don't you don't think that anything will be improved between now and next year? Well, the Kindle, the the Amazon Kindle store doesn't care about my use case. They don't care about. You know, news articles you're trying to publish in a timely manner. They just don't care about that. They're they're geared towards books. All right. So and they they don't care that you know about their format, about how I had to fight with it and get things to look right and everything. They're just like we just want books that are mostly filled with text. Maybe there's an image or two, and that's it. Uh, and they don't even care enough to make the iOS reader support Kindle Format Eight. So the Kindle on the iPad, all the images are centered and they're ugly, and, and you can't do any formatting. There's no floating images. Even in iBooks, floating images are not supported in iBooks. Like you can do you know, the CSS float stuff, but it will screw up. And if you read the iBooks documentation, it says floating images are not supported. Please don't use them. 
And so I'm, I'm like, I'm pushing again, pushing against the edges of the format. I'm going like, okay, I know in the specific case, I can get this float to work. Occasionally the text goes over the image, but if you just rotate the device and rotate it back, it fixes it like all because I can't get, I don't want to have some little thumbnail size image floating in the middle of a giant page because it looks ugly to me. I want it to look like the web version does. Sure. Right? If I have a one inch by one inch screenshot, I want it to be float right and have the text flow around it. Like, you know, and, and I want there to be a caption under the floated thing. Is this rocket science? No, it's not. It works fine in the web, but in the ebook world, that is like asking for the moon. You want a floated image with a caption on the right? No, nothing can handle that. That's crazy. It's incredibly frustrating to a web. This is what web development must feel like for people who haven't been doing web development since 1993, because the web is filled with all these idiosyncrasies too. But like you internalize them if you work in the web for a long time, you're just like, oh well, everybody knows that, you know. Like, but coming from the outside in the ebook world, in this, it, the worst part is that it looks like web. Like it uses HTML and CSS. You're like. You're like Jurassic Park. This is a Unix system. I know this. Like, this is the web. I know this. No, you don't. You, you don't know this. Because it is not the web. It's the web as rendered by a schizophrenic, half-crazed hamster in a wheel that's running inside these things. And it kills me on iOS. It's like, you've got WebKit. Just render this with WebKit. It renders correctly in WebKit. WebKit can handle floating images. I swear, I totally can. But no, it's like got to be a custom bastardized version of WebKit that does all these other crazy things that makes everything render incorrectly. <laughs> So if anyone's interested in EPUB or Kindle versions <laughs> of these books, the current versions look correct on the Kindle Touch, have captions that stay next to the images, uh, work on the iPad, you know, the whole nine yards. Now, when it's far too late, all these things are nailed down. Uh, but, like, the worst part about this experience is I think about next year and think about, you know, now with all this knowledge and, you know, information that I have and everyone involved is, like, battle-scarred and, and knows how to do it. Could I have pulled everything off perfectly? No, because there are still like intractable problems in terms of when things are released and, and, you know, how they render. Like, I have to accept these compromises. Either don't use floated images or use them and risk the fact that occasionally a word might go over it and you'll have to, like, you know, rotate the image to make it fix it or go back a page and forward a page. All right. Do I make a different trade off next time? Do I say, OK, I won't do that. I'll put the stupid one inch by one inch image in the center of a page and break everything up. Someone's sending me a screenshot of floating images on iBooks author. Yeah, iBooks, iBooks author, that's worth talking about a little bit. Uh, okay, let's, let's do our last sponsor and we'll, then we'll talk about that. Because that was something I had on my list to ask you too. All right. All right, last sponsor, Hover.com. Told you about these guys before. Simplified domain management. That's it. I should I stop there. That's it. Done. But I'll tell you a little bit more. This is where I go to register all my domain names I have for a while now. And, and, and it's because the, they focus 100%. We're talking about experience of online services here. Technically, they're really, really, really good at this. They make it incredibly easy to do what you want to do. You just want to register a domain. Like, why should that be hard? Why should you have to go through five different pages of options to opt out of paying for additional services? It doesn't make any sense. Well, these guys do make sense. You go to hover.com. Actually, go to hover.com slash Dan sent me. You'll get 10% off. Tell you about that in a second. You go there and there's a search box. And you just type the domain name that you think you want in the search box. Or you type in a word or you type in a phrase. And it will come up with, well, if the domain name you want is available, it'll tell you. And you hit the little plus box. If you don't, if it's not available, it'll come up with options for you. Well, maybe the .com isn't available, but you want to register the .net. And .net is available. Okay, so you register that. And they'll come up with all of the different ones. They have all the TLDs in there, .co, I love the .tv. And they'll, uh, they'll let you register them. And they never bother you. 
The only time that you'll ever hear from them is a month before it's, your domain's going to expire. They'll send you an email and they'll say, your domain name is expiring in a month. If you do nothing, we will renew it for you. If you don't want to renew it, just like click here and cancel it. I recommend though, when that happens, that you, uh, that you respond and go in and use the Dan sent me code and renew it right then because then you'll get 10% off. You can use this code over and over. So that's what you do. Check these guys out. Incredibly simple, elegant, straightforward site. They have all the DNS in there. Uh, very reliable in my experience. And they also have uh, email hosting too. It's really cool stuff. Hover.com slash Dan sent me or just enter the code Dan sent me. You'll get 10% off everything you buy from Hover.com. Uh, thanks very much to those guys. Longtime sponsors. And uh, I do have a domain name registration problem, and uh, they, are, they are enabling me, but I'm not complaining. So check them out, hover.com. iBooks Author. Author. So for people who don't know, iBooks Author is the application and format that Apple put out like last year or so for doing what they, they pitched it for doing textbooks. And it is not the same as all the previous format and tools for creating files for the, e-book, for, for the iBook store. This creates books in a very particular format that is it's, it's geared towards textbooks and it's kind of fixed format with a vertical and a horizontal, two different possible layouts and vertical horizontal. And it's like a page layout program where you lay the page out vertically and then say what the horizontal version is going to look like. And, you know, and as the person who places in the chat room point out, yes, you can have floated images there. You can have tables. You can have all sorts of very fancy things uh, to do this. You use the iBooks author application to create these books. Uh, but right away, you see what the problem is for me is that I can't automate this. I can't press a button and have a bunch of scripts spit out a bunch of thing and run a bunch of command line tools to generate this. This is a hand laid out thing. Uh, and like I said, it's geared mostly towards textbook. Like I looked into it. I started making it and looked at some of the templates and like, well, if I just got rid of those templates and just started from scratch, most of the features that iBooks author has aren't relevant to me. And I didn't want to have to make a landscape and a portrait orientation. I didn't like how it automatically did them for me. And it just... It was basically a non-starter. They're not, the lack of automation alone kills it. But I like I looked into it and said, well, maybe I'll do a hand. Maybe I'll do one by hand, like at the very end of have extra time. But even doing it by hand, it didn't look like it was the appropriate format for me. Uh, so it, it's like a mismatch. Like this this type of article, it is of the web. It's 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 built for the web. It's a web page. It's written like a web page. It's written in an environment where I expect like you the web browsers to be able to be resized and. I mean, the width is kind of fixed, but not really, because over time, Ars Technica's content width has changed by a couple pictures in either direction. So I always have to make things to be flexible in that regard. But, uh, you know, it, there's no way to press the button and have an iBooks author file come out. So I, it wasn't available to me. So that's why I had to be fighting with these other formats, uh, which is kind of a shame. Like, it, it, But I don't know, you know. With the lead time on creation of these types of things, even if you had, if I had like a, a whole mess of interns creating these things, I, there's no way you could get it done. Like, oh, I've updated the content again. Well, you know, go manually find where I, find what the diffs are and integrate them into your iBooks author thing and then regenerate the file and then resubmit it to Apple and wait for who knows how long for the approval process, even if it's expedited and how many expedites do you get. And it's just not, you know, this whole system is set up for write a book, have it edited, have it copy edited. The book is done. It is never going to change except maybe in a second edition. Send it up, wait a couple days and get published. It is not, you know, for the, the, for the web publishing pattern of, I expect to be able to update this anytime in, in the past. If I have an update because some new piece of information came to light, I can add it to the review. Or if, you know, there's a factual error, I can fix that right now. 
That's not the way it worked in the print world, and that's not the way it worked in this sort of transitional in-betweeny world. But it's the way it works in the web world. So I'm stubbornly in this web mindset where I expect to be able to fix things in real time constantly, at least for the first few days the thing is out, to add information and fix errors. Uh, and you can't, you just can't do that with a lot of these systems. They're just not built for that. Uh, they're built for you to not have any errors to begin with. Uh, but that's just not really possible for human beings to do for software that uh, is finished barely in time for you to write anything about it, for you to make corrections. And, you know, when you have a call with Apple three days before the release of the operating system, it's just, you know, the timing just doesn't work out. So, like I said, for next year, I'm... I think I can do better next year using what I've learned, but it's it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be perfect unless these publishing systems change their uh, their feature set. If I don't have a way to submit it ahead of time and, and mark the date when it's going to come up, it's not going to help me. If next year I upload a book and it says not available for iPad, what do I do? I mean, there's nothing I can do about that. It's just stupid Amazon with no human for me to contact, with no reply from them, and I just have to, like, wait for it to magically become fixed. Book updates, again... If I have a new version of the book, how can I get that out to all the people who got the old version? I have no idea. It's it's up to Amazon. If they don't support that, then I can't... There's nothing I can do to figure that out. Uh, it's kind of depressing. It almost makes me wish... I don't know. Uh, like, I'm... This whole effort with the ebook thing is trying to give... Like, the in initial impetus for it back last year was try to give people what they want. There are people who said, I don't want to read 30,000 words on a web page. Can you give me an ebook version? You can argue about why they should or should not want to read it in ebook format. Like, oh, it's dumb. Why don't you just read the web version? The web version is better. But the bottom line is people want an ebook version for whatever reason. Uh, so we give it to them. And secondarily, you know, if we charge money for it, you can make money off of it. Not a lot of money. <laughs> Certainly not a lot of money if the book's not available for sale for the first day and a half and doesn't work on the iPad. So, you know, any chance we had of having some sort of windfall uh, number of purchases of this book kind of fell away when we failed to get the book up for sale the day the review was released. Uh, but it's just, just a shame that uh, there's not some other avenue for monetization, like would ours run its own store and sell the book? Or then how do you get it onto people's Kindles? And how would it get onto into their iOS reader applications? Like this, this infrastructure that's set up around selling people books and getting it onto devices, you're kind of locked into that especially if you're trying to sell to the non-nerd user. Like, if I just give you this EPUB, do you know how to get it into your iBooks account? I bet some nerds can figure it out. But in general, if I email my mom an EPUB and say, you know, look at this in, in iBooks, like, even though it's so simple, you just l read the mail on your iPad, tap on the download, and it will say, would you like to open this in, in iBooks, right? That seems like, how could, how could it be any easier than that? But she doesn't read her email on, on her iPad or her iPod. She'd end up reading it on her Mac and not understanding what do I do with this file. Do I download it to my desktop and then what do I do with it? Oh, she would never figure it out, like going into iTunes and selecting the thing, going to that files list and dragging it in there. Like that would never happen spontaneously, right? Uh, and, you know, you could get lucky and or you could send instructions like read this email on your iPad. And like, I'm not sure even if that instruction would come through. Like, what do you mean? I already read the email. I saw what you said. I'm like, no, you have to actually look at the email <laughs> on your iPad. Right. And, and it's, it's so much easier when you can just say, yeah, this is why people buy it through Amazon. You go to the store, you click the button, send to my whatever. And it's just it happens. Right. And that is great. And that's why if you can't build something equally as great and you can't because you're not Amazon and you don't own the infrastructure that controls Kindles. Uh, then you're kind of beholden to these existing avenues of sending out content. So that mismatch between the 
you know, novels and stuff that, that these systems are, are meant to put out. And this weird thing that I'm doing, which is like a book version of a long web article that's like news, uh, it doesn't quite fit. So all that said, I will believe I will go through this all next year. I will be older and wiser and more tired and angry and bitter. And I'm sure I'll have a, a similar set of problems. Uh, I am, in general, proud of the way these ebooks look now. I made them look as, as you know, the best I could possibly make them look on all these devices. It's a compromise. The iOS version doesn't support Kindle Format 8. There's nothing I can do about that. Uh, but, you know, I did the best I could. And the call, and again, the call I made on the floating images was if there's any chance of them looking right, if it's like 80% chance, I'm going with it. So uh, for the most part, I didn't get any complaints that like people's text was going over their floating images. I'm sure it happened to some people and I'm sure they cursed me under their breath when it happened. But uh, I thought it was worth it to uh, look look really good most of the time and not so great occasionally than to look crappy all the time consistently. Uh, I'll probably make that same call next year. Well, good good luck. Are you already writing the next review? Are you starting? I'm just, I, I just want to hit the pause button on these yearly releases. I don't know. Like I said, someday I'm gonna. I'm not gonna do these reviews anymore. I, I've someday they need to stop doing the cat names, and then I can say, "Well, I did all the cat names. Now I can stop." Right? Because if I remember correctly, you predicted that Ma- that Lion was going to be the final one. Lion King of the Jungle. They're going to switch to something else. I didn't predict. I said it should be. Should and be. I that. Still, still believe it should be because like Lion should be the end. Uh, but they disagreed. <laughs> Mountain Lion. What's how about this? What do you think is going to be next now? Yeah. I, so when I found out the Mountain Lion name from uh, little birdies who uh, gave me this information ahead of time. Yeah. This particular little birdie said, I know what the next big cat name is. Uh, and I immediately said mountain lion. And I was right. So maybe that's how it'll work next year. I can't know what the name is going to be until a little birdie tells me I know what the next name is. And then I have to guess it. <laughs> I believe I said mountain lion. And my second guess was like links or something. But my first guess uh, was, I hope they don't do links. Uh, but I want them to stop the cat names. I'm mean, like, what are, you, what are you doing? Lion, or fine. Mountain lion is like the four and the four S. It's like the fancy version of the, fine. But it's still like lion-based. It's a lion-based name, even not really like uh, biologically speaking, whatever. You know, we're done with the cat names, are we not? Let's go with something else. But it seems like now that they're at 10-8, 10-9 at is getting so close to like the 10-10 threshold that they'll probably stick with cats for 10-9. And then whatever the hell they do after 10-9, whether it's 10-10 or they do some other thing with branding, maybe then we can finally get off cats. Do you think they'll do a 10-10 or would, wouldn't they just do an 11? I don't know. I That's 10-10 seems silly. Well, they did, uh, what, 10.4.14 or something? One of the one of the uh, the point releases went up to double digits. So well, yeah, but they had the 4 to, to balance that out. Well, they'll... Yeah, ten four eleven. They'll just they'll just go to ten ten if they feel like that's it's a marketing decision. It has nothing to do with anything else. So if marketing doesn't have like a new brand, then the the uh, the technology people are just going to keep increasing that number. And what comes after nine? Ten. That's what comes after nine. It's you know it's a period with two number two numbers separated by period. It's not a uh, single floating point number. Uh, so I don't know. It makes me tired. It makes me tired just thinking about it. I don't. I, I want to have my honeymoon period where I don't have to think about. 10.9 although you lay down or if i'm i'm afraid to look in the calendar like when was the, when was the <laughs> uh, the reveal of mountain line was it in the fall when was like that when they had that first secret press conference and you know people were surprised to see uh mountain line i thought remember. that was in the, in the fall and Maybe that was, was the press the fall. 
Because that, that means like in a couple months, some people are going to get a secret invitation to see 10.9. And then like it starts, it starts all over again. Maybe I'll try to make this review shorter. <laughs> I mean, I'll have the equal success I have making the show shorter. Uh, I think we're done for today, though. One one thirty eight. That's a short show. Yeah, for you, that's a that's almost that's just an intro usually. Yeah, we got fifteen minutes until this Apple event where all our dreams will come true, except for mine because my Thunderbolt display's camera doesn't work. <laughs> when will you know if you're going to be able to participate in the special? How much time am I going to? Because I'll have to set up a, a whole third machine for you in this sort of makeshift room. Yeah, well, why don't you just set up the machine? If you don't have to use it, you don't have to use it. Like, oh, okay, Dad. Planning ahead, you know, it's not no rocket science. Because then I got to go rummaging for an extra set of cables. I don't want to tear everything you up. Just, you just spent that. You put in the time to separate your cables. Now this pays off. You don't have to fight the uh, the uh, rat king of cables to get right. your cable up. <clears throat> okay. I'll let you know. Okay then. Well, you, if you want to, you can go and find out more about John Syracuse by uh, following him on Twitter. Twitter dot com slash. Syracusa, S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A. He is also on Alpha, alpha.app.net slash Syracusa. Same spelling. Great way to get in touch. You can also get in touch with us using the contact form on the site, 5x5.tv slash hypercritical. Oh, well, that's actually the show notes. Hypercritical slash 85. And if you want to contact us, it's just 5x5.tv slash contact, and you'll pick hypercritical from the list. And... uh you can email us. And John has promised to respond to and reply to every email in depth in full, full response. This is not the case. But he, you did promise to read them all. If that is the case. Okay, so if you email John, he will read it. He may, re- he may reply. He may read it on the show. He may do nothing. He may delete it. I and won't delete it. You I, keep don't delete, I don't delete email. What do you do with it? It just goes into the giant bin of email. <laughs> I don't delete email. Why would you delete email? Well, you might not need it later. No, I don't. I don't. It doesn't matter if I need it. It doesn't. It doesn't weigh anything. It goes away. I don't see it, but I don't <laughs> delete it. What if there's like an image attachment, like a one meg image attachment of somebody's I'm, shoe? Nope. Hard drive space is cheap. All right, more to back up though. It's all right. Like your your backblaze thing failed, and you had to start over again. I did. I'm all caught up now again. All right. So 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 85 show notes for the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, have a great week. Have a great week, John. You too.